Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, last week we spoke to Ahmed Hussein, who will be part of the new liberal government. Now we're going to take a look at the opposition. That is the guys who came in second, third, and so forth. So, of course, nobody likes to lose. It's not easy losing on such a big scale. I guess I'm going to move into the recovering politician category. There was a lot of confusion. Those were outgoing Conservative MPs Chris Alexander speaking with Global, followed by Joan Crockett and Paul Calandra on CBC. They lost some seats, but the Conservatives still make up about 30% of the House of Commons. But what can they do with that when the Liberals don't need opposition support to pass bills? We're going to speak about leading the opposition in a majority government with someone who's actually done it. But first, we'll take a look at the state of the Conservative Party with some people who have supported them in the past, but now have mixed feelings about them. I'm Andre Demise. Desmond Cole is off this week. This is Canada Land. Calls. This episode is brought to you by Canadian Journalists for Free Expression. CGFE is a fantastic organization that works to protect the right to free expression in Canada and around the world. I asked their executive director, Tom Hennifer, what kinds of things they'll be keeping an eye on when the new government forms. Really, we want to see what this government does to reform issues around free expression, the public right to know and government secrecy, because things had gone so far off the deep end over the last 12 years or so, in terms of all these issues, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. This government made a lot of promises during the election, and the only way that this will really work is for them to engage in a dialogue with civil society and listen and take the reforms to heart and pass meaningful legislation, and we're going to be working very hard to make sure that happens. CJFE relies on support from people like you to keep these initiatives going, so go to cjfe.org and become a member. Listeners of Commons get a 70% discount on CJFE membership by entering the word Canada Land when they sign up. Do it. Keep the government in check. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Tasha Carradine is the co-author of the book, Rescuing Canada's Right. She does a bunch of stuff now, including writing columns for the National Post and iPolitics and regular spots on CBC. She voted conservative last month. Tasha, welcome to the show. Thank you. We also have Mark Warner, who's an international trade lawyer. Mark ran for the Conservative Party back in 2007, but he was kicked off the campaign trail because his ideas didn't fit with the National Conservative platform. Mark, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Mark, after what you went through on the 2007 election, do you still consider yourself a conservative? 
Not really. You know, I, I don't have a strong brand attachment to any political party right now. I mean, I was a candidate for the Conservatives in 2007, but uh, really I have uh, since then uh, flirted with some of the other parties from time to time and have certainly right. voted across the spectrum since then. So you actually did not finish your campaign. No, but we had we had differences with the party about uh, how we would try to run a campaign. Traditionally in Toronto Centre, the candidate has been given a lot of leeway because it is a difficult riding. Right. And there's been a recognition that you've got you get a good candidate and the good candidate basically goes out and can sort of sell himself or herself. What it really came down to was we knew that you could sort of plausibly build a campaign around me as a fresh face and someone who's been out of the country for a long time, was an economist and a lawyer and um, was black, obviously, in the riding and, and that sort of thing had, had, had roots in the riding. That was the best chance. If you tried to run on what they wanted to do in those days, which is a you know run on Stephen Harper and an emotive phrase on the other side. I had to laugh when I looked at some of the literature from this election campaign because yeah. it looked very similar to the kind of stuff they wanted me to use. You could, you, I, I totally buy. I don't. I never disputed with them that that stuff might have worked nationally. Mm-hmm. It's just very clear in four one six would never work. Okay, so you were removed as a candidate. Yeah, we we had differences, and then you know finally it sort of boiled over, and uh, you know basically with my sort of chomping at the bit, and with their trying to remove the bit <laughs> or put the bit back in, I guess it is. So, uh, so eventually it boiled over in about October, and so uh, they removed me as a candidate, replaced me with a guy you might have heard of, Don Meredith, Don Meredith, who's senator. now a senator. Yes, Tasha, what do you make of Mark's history with the Conservative Party? Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's interesting listening to Mark because so much of what he said uh, rang true. Uh, hearing Mark talk about the mistakes that were made running the same campaign in 2015 that they did basically in 2007, as you was talking, um, it rings very true because I think a lot of the mistakes that were made were assuming that what worked before will work again and will work everywhere, and it doesn't necessarily do that. Mark, if you in 2007 weren't necessarily in agreement with the way that Conservatives uh, campaign, especially in Toronto Centre, what was the point of running there in the first place? You know, when you're out of the country, you talk to your friends and your family, and you think you really understand everything that's going around, going on here. I mean, I was aware that the Conservative Party had split and reformed. But for me, because I'd been active in the in Toronto Centre in 88, I'd, I'd maintained those contacts with the people in the riding. Mm-hmm. And I kind of sort of knew when I wanted to do this, I talked to people in the riding, and they said, yeah, we're behind you. So I kind of knew I could get the nomination. Yeah. And perhaps stupidly, I never really thought about the National Party and getting to know those people. I just knew... I could get the nomination in Toronto Centre. I right. would have a well-funded campaign, and I would have a fun time. And given what I know about how conservative candidates have been allowed to run in that riding in the past, yeah. it never occurred to me that that I would be treated any differently or that, that frankly, there would be an attempt to take a Bay Street, Wall Street lawyer and turn him into uh, Pierre Polyev. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tasha. Yes. The conservatives are supposed to elect an interim leader this week. Yes. As somebody who's not only going to be a leader of an opposition party, but somebody who's not going to be a leader for very long, that's the definition of interim leader, what difference does it make being the interim leader right now for the Conservatives? Obviously, I think people see it as a platform for potentially the run at the big job. Now, usually interim leaders don't get that chance. Usually the rules say if you're interim, you're a placeholder, you're not going to run because it gives you an advantage. If you're in the House of Commons every day, questioning Justin Trudeau, you're going to get national attention. And that can help you if you want to run for the long-term leader's job. So it is an important role. Depends how they define it. If they say that person cannot then run for leader, I think there will be fewer people interested. But right now, it seems that everyone's chomping at the bit. And the party does need someone, obviously, to be in the House and ask those questions and you know, be in the media and keep that profile alive. So it is important regardless of whether that person goes for the the long-term position or not. You know, one of the things that's all happening very quickly, 
And one of, that's one of the things that I've noticed. I mean, the election is barely two weeks ago. Yeah. And, you know, there, you get people who are intimately involved in the last campaign and with all the people writing op-ed pieces saying, oh, we never agreed with any of it. It's all wrong. It's all yeah. bad. And, and it seems like everybody's <laughs> tripping over themselves. And I, yeah. I think what they need to do is slow down. Like sometimes in parliamentary systems, what you do in a situation like this is you get the, the longest serving MP. You know, yeah. and, and that person becomes, I don't know, the leader of the party. Sometimes in, in Britain they have names for these things or whatever. But, I mean, I, I just sort of – I think that that's what they probably should do, you yeah, know. Yeah. And then give themselves the time even to find an interim leader and think about what they want in an interim leader. So Jason Kenney, former minister of defense, uh, former minister of multiculturalism, somebody who's thought of as a heavyweight for the uh, leadership contender of the party. And he said that he would like a, quote, sunnier and more optimistic conservatism. What exactly does that mean? Here's where I think that they really need to take their time because Jason Kenney is so associated with the last go-around um, under Stephen Harper. Yeah. I, I just really wonder whether he could possibly be the face of that kind of new, sunnier attitude. I mean, I mean, Jason Kenney did a lot of work in the so-called immigrant communities, you know. I, I was always a bit skeptical about how deep that was really reaching, you know. I think that there is all three political parties, in my view, yeah. uh, tend to really oversell what they think they can do. I think they really still believe that if you show up at an immigrant-type event, a community event, and you know, dress up in the in the funny outfits and eat the funny food that, that people are going to vote for you just because you did that. And I think that's such a 1970s view. I, I think they all, my view is they all still believe that. Tasha, what do you think? What do you see as being the future of the Conservative Party? Well, I think that the team around the leader is incredibly important. And the fact that they will be gone is very important to rebuilding the party too. Because um, one of the problems with the Conservatives was not just sunny lack of sunniness in a public sense, but a lack of sunny ways within the government itself, how the government uh, dealt with its own ministers, um, telling them what to say, what not to say. I think that the lack of team, of the impression that Mr. Harper had a strong team and the fact Many of them, you know, left, such as John Baird and um, Peter McKay. People quit, partly because to be part of that team, you really had to toe a line, a hard line. And that was the attitude of the behind-the-scenes team Mr. Harper had, the PMO and others. That also extended to the relationship the government had within itself with the bureaucracy. For a government to implement its agenda, it needs to have a good working relationship. And the government did not. It had a very hostile relationship. It treated the bureaucracy as the enemy. And that was a holdover as part of the team. It's something that I personally witnessed when I worked for the government of Mike Harris in Ontario. And unfortunately, that confrontational attitude leads to people trying to trip you up and to people right. in the bureaucracy fighting well, back. I mean, here's a really back. good example. The uh, former parliamentary budget officer, Kevin Page, uh, yeah. felt completely unwelcome during his tenure uh, in Ottawa, and he ended up writing a book mm-hmm. uh, about the uh, the Conservative Party, essentially calling them unaccountable and uh, not transparent. And what, uh, so well, look at the guy who made the song in Ottawa, the environment bureaucrat. <laughs> yeah. you know, these sorts of things, they, 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 those yeah. might seem small compared to Kevin Page, but they're significant because they show the culture and the, the lack of respect these people felt. Yeah, you know, I, I'd want to sort of dissent a little bit from that. You know, I, I spent four years working at the OE, OECD in Paris, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And I was, used to go down one of the tunnels and watch all of the pictures of the ministers who used to attend meetings. And you really realized how over the last 50 years that's really changed. You know, I think modern governments are very centralized. And one of the interesting things, I think opportunities for the conservatives is going to be, is when they watch just exactly what Justin Sunny Trudeau's Justin Trudeau does. Because honestly, the people around him are the people who are around McGinty in, in, uh, mm-hmm. in Ontario. Yeah. And McGinty's shop, as someone who worked in that shop, it was a very centralized government. It was quite fashionable to beat up on Stephen Harper. But I, I do remember going to estimates committee meetings in, uh, in at the legislature 
and watching the liberals uh, read their scripts. Yeah. There are just fewer reporters working at Queen's Park to report on that. <laughs> so I think it's going to be interesting to see because with, with an inexperienced government, which is what – that Justin Trudeau will have, whether you know whether you like it or not. It's just a lot of these folks, were, they only had 30 MPs before. A lot of them don't have parliamentary experience. Yeah. A lot of them don't have executive experience. The reality is that PMO, the Justin Trudeau PMO, and already I think you can see some articles suggesting it's going to happen, is going to be a very centralized shop dictating a lot of terms. The good thing about democracy is we have change every 10 years or so, whether it's part of our system or not. And, and the bureaucrats can find lots of things to be unhappy about. Mark... You did not vote conservative in this election. I did not vote conservative in this election. What would it take for the conservatives to win your vote back? I'd like to see a party that was stronger on civil liberty, so not the sort of extreme on the C-51 uh, anti-terror bill type thing, and a party right. that was heaving a little bit more to the pro-market side. You know, it's a long time ago now, eight years ago, but when I knocked on doors and when I attended events in the community in Toronto Centre, I found that there were a lot of people who were receptive to that that kind of a message. I still do in my circle of friends find people who are sympathetic to that message. I don't think the Liberal Party, despite you know what Justin may say or, or his advisors may sound like on Twitter, I don't think they embody that tradition. Tasha? Yes. You did vote Conservative. Yes, I did. Despite your distaste for the way that Harper's run his government. Yes. What would it take for them to lose your vote? Hmm. Um, it would take for them to lose my vote if they failed to reconstruct the party in the way I think that it should go. And a lot of it is what Mark said. Um, go further, though, in the sense that I think they need to find both empathy and inspiration. Those are the two things that were missing in this campaign. And yeah. a lot had to do with a leader. A lot had to do with the tone that was set for many years um, in terms of the attitude towards everything from the press to the average Canadian, I think, who they felt yeah. they could just you know sell the same old, same old to and that would be enough. You need to have empathy in the sense that you need to make people feel as though you are there for them. It doesn't mean you're, the government's going to do everything for them. That's not what conservatives believe. As my my late father used to say, a good politician has to be a bit of a sucker. He has to feel that when someone loses their job somewhere, even if it's a plant closing, you may not be subsidizing that plant to stay around, but you've got to do something. You've got to make those people feel there's hope. And that goes to the inspiration piece. The liberals were really successful in selling a vision for the country, an overarching vision. The conservatives need to have that. If they don't have that, then they will lose the votes of a lot of people, and not necessarily just me, but people who are looking to the conservatives for that vision piece. And that was missing. And whoever becomes leader has to have a sense of where they're taking the country and not simply that we're just going to putter along. Okay, I hate to pin you down on this, but they didn't do all those things. So why vote for them anyway? I didn't like the vision of the liberals. The liberals had a vision. I give them yeah. credit for that. But, um, you know, racking up deficits to pay for their vision to me is just wrong. Yes, there are things that need attention in this country, but not by running up deficits. There's a lot of policies they stood for that I think are very anti-growth, and that will hurt them in paying off those deficits. So I couldn't go there, and I couldn't go to the NDP because of a lot of their positions on things like state-funded uh, national daycare programs, um, pulling out of ISIS. I disagree with that. So you know, I was, I was really stuck, um, and as a small-c conservative, I do believe that financially, the government, the former government was the best choice. Um, that said, I did disagree and critique them a lot in my writing about the way they governed. I believe in voting. Um, so I have to make that choice. Um, so I hope that the conservatives will earn my vote next time. Okay. What is the role of the conservative opposition this time around? The role of the conservative opposition is to obviously hold the government to account. That's the traditional role. Um, but I think that it also is 
because they are in a rebuilding process, to offer an alternative vision for the country. I think the the, the key thing is not to trip over their feet right. as conservatives. Yeah. Well, I mean, the liberals did win a majority government. So given that the, the conservatives are negotiating from a position of weakness in the sense that they can't actually swing a vote in the other direction, what can they really do now? I think they need to lick their wounds, figure out where they're going. Um, and just give the government a chance to implode a little bit. I think I think there are a lot of seeds of its own of, of their own self destruction in the Liberal Party program, right. and frankly, in in the caucus that they have. Just yeah. being a student of government and of human nature, I just think uh, it's going to be very. There are a lot of egos there. Well, I'll tell you, having been, a, I've been at this not just as a candidate, but also a senior bureaucrat, and I have to tell you. There's the, the, one, the other way governments get themselves in trouble, you could do the Harper way where you have cabinet ministers who aren't that smart or, or totally controlled or uh-huh. they disrespect the bureaucracy. That, that's obvious. But there's nothing worse than having a minister who thinks they're smarter than the bureaucrat. I had one. Right. <laughs> I remember going to one meeting of the Estimates Committee where the minister informed me uh, that, well, he didn't need his lawyer there. He was a pretty good lawyer himself. <laughs> um, he got into trouble. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's a bit how the world works. So, you know, yeah. it, it, it's funny because the, the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party have different uh, – strengths and weaknesses in terms of their caucus. And when they, the conservative ones have been on display for the last 10 years. The liberal ones are, are different ones. They're technocratic people who think a lot of themselves, <laughs> who have a lot of degrees or whatever it is behind their names. Yep. And those kind of people don't always fit comfortably into the kind of teamwork, not just with the caucus and with the prime minister's office, but with that deputy minister who's sitting across from you right. telling you what to do. Right. Okay, so let's take the party element out of it for a second. What can like an individual MP as a member of the opposition do? First order of business is to consolidate your, your strength in the riding mm-hmm. if you're in the opposition at this point. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the opposition MPs be, are going to have to be paired because they have no representation in the Maritime. So they're going to have to be – and no representation in Toronto. So they're going to have to reach out to those parts of the ridings in the country where they're not represented and try to rebuild by going to lots of community events. I think there's a lot of doing your knitting stuff. And it's not going to be easy. There's some big ticket issues coming up, Andre, as, as you know. I mean, the, 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 the uh, assisted suicide thing, right. the prostitution issue. Issue, marijuana, and these are these are almost going to be like uh, perfect things to you know that that hot uh, poker stick and poke in the eye of the yeah, conservatives, yeah. and it's going to also create the opportunity for a lot of crazies to come out of the woodworks, and 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 and, and the whole thing could go off the rails. So I don't, I, I think what I'm trying to say here is it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination, um, but they need to um, they need to sort of take it step by step. Tasha, what do you think? Look, people in ridings, you go to your MP for a lot of things. Uh, you know, I want to bring my grandmother over from a foreign country or I'm having a problem with this application for a licensing of my restaurant. I mean, there's very basic local things. People come to their MPs. They'll be busy with that stuff yeah. on the big picture level. They'll be involved, I think, in their party rebuilding. That will be a very important role for them. And then finally, in the House of Commons, who gets to ask the questions? Those performers will be important to identify because they will make the news with the 30 second clip from the House of Commons from question period. Mark Warner, Tasha Carradine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Okay, so maybe the Conservative Party will change. Maybe a new party is going to pop up. Who knows? But in the meantime, they still have some time in the opposition. And I wanted to know what that means. So what kind of power does the official opposition actually have? I tried to reach a former federal leader of the opposition, but couldn't find anyone who was available. But I was able to reach somebody who led the opposition at the provincial level. Ray Martin was the head of the Alberta NDP when they first became the official opposition, and that was in 1986. Currently, he's a school board trustee in Edmonton. Ray, how are you? Good, how are you? 
Pretty good. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Between working in politics and working in the education system, which one was rougher on you? <laughs> well, they're so totally different that it's hard to compare. When my experience in the legislature, 15 years, and nine as the leader of the official opposition, was, uh, you know, you're in opposition. You're opposing generally. as where on the school board, there's nine of us, and so we work together. It's, uh, you know, without partisan labels. So they're both involved in politics, but they're so very different that it's hard to compare. Right. Okay. Now, I was pretty young when you were the leader of the official opposition, but I do remember a video clip of you being really, really excited when the NDP became Alberta's opposition. Did it feel strange to be so excited about coming in second place? <laughs> well, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, uh, just uh, to, to put that in perspective why it was an exciting evening for the NDP was that uh, Grant Notley, uh, Rachel's dad, and she's now the premier, was the lone person in the legislature for um, a number of years. And then in 1982, uh, I joined him. And I think he thought they had a huge number now, but uh, so now there was two of us. Yeah. So us going up to 16 was huge. What did that moment feel like? It was huge. And uh, uh, we thought nothing could stop us that particular night. I remember walking in to, you know, a huge crowd and saying, Isn't that sweet? And everybody cheered because it, it was, for us, almost as, as good, if I can put it that way, as, as uh, winning government. When you're dealing with a majority government, what can the opposition actually do to affect change? Well, there's a number of ways. They say you elect governments, but you also elect oppositions, you know, to make sure that they're being covered, if I can put it that way, so that they don't have absolute power, that you have access, especially to people like yourself, the media, and through the media to the people to present your views. So in our democracy, opposition is... Uh, I would say just as important as being in government because it allows uh, uh, you know people to know what's going on. And there's other ways too. Uh, in, in a legislature, sure, you don't often win many votes, but you do have access to bringing in bills that you think are important, private members' bills. Uh, can you give a brief explainer as to what a private members' bill is? Yeah, uh, all MLAs can bring in bills, you know, on, on any issue that they want right. and have it debated in the legislature. And so uh, more often than not, it's the opposition that uses this because, you know, the backbenchers uh, in the government side are, are content to, to flow with their government bills. So it's just another way to put out a private member's bill and you probably have a little news conference about it so that the public knows some of the things that you're advocating. So it's, it's a very important part of, of opposition. But there are other ways, too, uh, that you could have uh, influence. Let me give you an example. Uh, in a private member's bill I brought in, we were calling for a holiday. You know, the winter time was a long stretch. And we called for a bill to setting a holiday, you know, in February. And the conservatives all got up and said, how irresponsible this is. This is bankrupt, small business, you know, the whole ball of wax. But guess what? Next year, Don Getty, who was the premier at the time, brought in a bill called Family Day. <laughs> and uh, so I'm not saying that every bill that you do that the government uh, 
adopts immediately, they don't. But uh, you, you do have that influence, and you have the influence even if they don't adopt it. If a lot of people think it's a, a good idea, that does put pressure on the government. Uh, as I say, a very important role of opposition. Okay. What advice would you have for the Conservatives or even the NDP who are feeling disappointed with those losses? Well, yeah, it's uh, understandable that people are going to be, I'm disappointed, obviously. I thought we'd win some more seats in Edmonton, we just have the one again. So it, it was, it's a setback, but uh, unlike us, provincially, when we got wiped out, they still have 44 seats. If I may put it in perspective, six or seven years ago, we would have been sort of ecstatic with 44 seats. <laughs> right, right. You know, so it's all in perspective. And they have some very able uh, MPs. They have to go through some soul-searching, you know, and look at what went wrong in the campaign, uh, what they think they could have done differently, what they're going to do in the futures. But uh, what they have to do is be the most effective opposition they can be. Now, by being effective, I don't mean necessarily uh, disagreeing with everything the government does. You know, when I was the leader of the opposition, for example, one of the... Uh, assistants to one of the ministers came to me and said, well, you ask these questions in question period, and they're very important ones, and I did. So uh, when I say an effective opposition, yeah, oppose, that's your job, but also present alternatives. And uh, the more alternatives that you present that wash with the public, the better chance you have later on in the next election of winning or, or doing better. So their main job is to be, at this point, an effective opposition. Ray Martin, former leader of the Albertan NDP, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. That's our show for this week. To continue the conversation on social media, just jump on Twitter, type in Canada Land Commons, it'll be the first result you find. Our producer this week is Kevin Sexton, music as always by Nathan Burley. To visit our website, just go to canadalandshow.com. You can email me at andre at canadalandshow.com. You can also subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please support us. That's patreon.com slash CanadaLand. The next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts will be back on Thursday. Canada Land Commons will be back on Tuesday.